0: welcome to the what the data podcast with your hosts mitch and leo hey mitch how's it going hey Lior, fine fine it was a
1: long week but it's finally over so i'm getting into a friday mood how about you Uh, same here sun is coming out finally after all this rain snails are running around my garden. Fun stuff. So are you
0: like in the garden now and just hunting for snails?
1: Yeah, they they went for my my herbs garden and I can't tell, I can take it. Uh, it's my herbs garden. I grow it. We have a lot of stuff actually this year. We have quite nice tomatoes and cucumbers. And now the herbs, the herbs are dying slowly.
0: Yeah, I mean I have um we we have a similar situation as well but one big issue is that, you know, because it was dry again this year, uh, a lot of our plants have died. But we still have uh, our new apple trees coming along just fine. So I'm, I'm actually happy to have my own garden now. Like moving outside of the city was actually a good choice, I think.
1: How about you? It's, it's, it's more peaceful. It's giving you time to think. I think when you have this huge space around you and you don't have people bumping into you wherever you're going on the street... It's a little bit nicer, but I'm still missing the good restaurants in the city, <laughs> yeah,
0: for me too, and around my area, there's like one German Schnitzel place, and then there's one kebab place, but I don't know if it's going to stick around. Uh, it's not really a kebab neighborhood
1: here, so um but that's that's about it. The rest is home cooking. You're lucky we don't no actually we have two kebab shops, and that's it more or less, and a pizza place. The pizza place is over-salting everything. I don't know. He has some not-too-sensitive hand for salt. And the kebab shops, I don't want to go inside any of them because I'm not sure how it's going to come out. It scares me. Well, I mean,
0: it depends, right? There are some more decent-looking ones. Some of them are more seedy. Actually, when I when I still lived in the city center, there was this one place... Um, where we had uh, my roommate went to this kebab place and he came back home he had terrible diarrhea for two days and um he said it's probably about the kebab place and i you know being a statistics guy I was like you know you can't be sure who knows
1: so then the next <laughs> weekend
0: you know he comes back home and you know next morning he's just terrible diarrhea again and in the morning he just told me like you know there's no way you could tell me that this is not the kebab place. And I was like, yeah, but why did you even go there for a second time? And he was like, well, it was late. It was the only place to get something to eat,
1: right? I was like, well, you know, I hope it was worth it. When I arrived to Berlin, somebody sent me to the best kebab shop in in the city. And I was like, okay, if he's saying it's the best in the city, I have to go there. I was traveling, uh, I think it was three lines that I needed to change of the underground, of the U-Bahn, and I arrived there after something like 55 minutes. I'm arriving to the shop and I'm looking at it. And I was like, I already know what's going to be the end result of it. And I never went back there. But if anybody interested, I'm more than happy to share the location. It's still in place. It's moved a little bit to another another corner. Uh, but uh, the cleanliness of the place have not changed. I
0: think some people just have a stomach that's just very robust, and nothing can really happen to them. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's it's crazy how these places are still in business, you know. But it's not the only companies I see that sometimes seem where, where I'm sometimes
1: wondering why they're still in business, right? Yeah. But talking about uh, bad, ex- talking about bad experiences, we're going to talk today about uh, sharing data with third party. Which I think is connecting quite well for this. Yeah, I just, I also like the idea of when you think about like, you know, telling someone,
0: I hope it was worth it. You know, you were, you were <laughs> really hungry at four in the morning. Um, and then you get punished more than you may have thought. Um, because I remember like um, maybe eight years ago or something. Um, I, I used to work in the, in the Facebook marketing field back when we still had Facebook games. So Essentially, you would have a Facebook account and then, you know, your aunt or your, your parents or some other person on Facebook sends you an invite and ask you if you want to play Farmville or some stuff like that. Well, um, and I remember back then when I looked at the at the the actual data we were getting out of the Facebook APIs, I remember feeling kind of strange about this, you know, like, hmm, I guess, you know, I guess it's good for us to do this. But I don't think it's going to turn out well for everyone in the long run because it was just like, you know, it was very detailed data about users that you can... That you could pull from the API. And I mean, Facebook was reliant on these stupid games because, you know, that drove the addiction for people to stick around on Facebook. Once Facebook had their own traction, of course, they just kind of killed the game ecosystem and held on to the users because they had just kind of, you know, gotten what they needed. But um, I felt like, wow, now that I've seen this. I don't think, I, I feel bad every time I connect any Facebook marketing tags, right? Or any time I put in more of these conversion events at any place, just because I think about like, this company has cared so little about so many things um, and they have access to all these places, right? And everyone yeah. nowadays who wants to run any
1: on, any online marketing has to put in these Facebook pixels everywhere, you know? What, what I think about is always like with Zynga, Zynga and Facebook. I think this is mm-hmm. one of the biggest cases, and now we see Epic and Apple fighting against each other. But at the end of the day, who is Zynga today? Remind me. What what are they doing? Um, they they are still around and they're still a fairly
0: big company, but um, at some point, I think one of their most profitable uh, quarters was when they sold their office building that they owned. Um, but they seem to be doing
1: okay on some level, right? The last time I checked their stock, it was around uh, eight euros, if I remember correctly. Anyway, so essentially, you know,
0: uh, Facebook was the platform and then all these games companies were sitting on top of it. And now Apple is the platform and and Epic is sitting on top of it, right? But what Epic is doing is that whenever they do their transactions through Apple, Apple is kind of the person who's owning the customer relationship, right? Apple gets the email address, Apple gets to settle the credit card and so on and so forth. So I can kind of understand that if you make these video games that you want to be uh, owning your customer relationships. At the same time, it was the deal that Apple offered. They said, we are going to invent an app store and this is the deal you're going to get.
1: But I also find it very funny that a lot of, uh, of these things, we don't think about it when we're starting building a product. We don't really understand how much we dependent on Apple or Facebook or Google actually enable us to to get this information but you know what what are the things that actually always making me realize it it's when you need to have an attribution tool in between you and facebook or google or whatever advertisement platform you're using that's going to tell you that the install that you got on android actually came from specific campaign yeah you're right one thing that has been concerning me about this is for example
0: um Facebook has tried to build an attribution tool that people were supposed to use, um, for the marketing context. And the obvious question is like, well, but I'm paying Facebook and they are one of my channels. If I would let them count the contributions, of course they will look better. Right. Um, but then, you know, for, so at first it feels strange, but then you start to realize, wait a moment, I'm actually using Google for all kinds of things. Right. So Google is uh, the one company who's, uh, who's, who may be the biggest kind of recipient of my marketing money for the search ads. Um, I might have an entire SEO team and SEO teams. What they really only do is that they make your, your, they structure your website data in a way that Google, the Google search engine can actually work with it better. So an SEO manager is also kind of like a, a an unpaid con, unpaid consultant for Google. Um, and then you use Google analytics where you also kind of put in all these tracking codes in place and you link up these conversion events to a degree where you have a similar situation, right? Google is the one who wants your marketing money, and they're also the people who tell you which marketing channels work best. It's a bit concerning.
1: But let's face it, there is a difference between an attribution tool and a, a tracking tool. This is this is one thing, right? So Google Analytics and Facebook Analytics. I, I
0: think it makes sense to make a distinction between analytics tools and and you know attribution tools in this sense. As you said, you know, attribution tools just look at the marketing, at finding the, the connection between marketing activities and conversions and stuff that happens on your side. Analytics tools are supposed to be controlled by you and they're supposed to be unbiased, right? Like technically, no one at Google Analytics is ever going to tell you that the data is somehow biased in favor of Google because it's supposed to be this objective source of truth.
1: So do you think that we actually here, this is always my question, and and I know that tracking is more your field than mine. Do we need to have an analytics tool and an unbiased attribution tool, or can we actually survive with uh, Google Firebase and, and, and Facebook Analytics or Facebook uh, Pixel or or whatever they want to call their tools? Yeah, um, I mean the the Facebook the Facebook attribution tool that they
0: used to build, I think it was it was kind of. Uh discontinued at some point because uh, there was not a lot of interest with the, with the people, uh, with the, with the clients. But, um, I mean, the point is, you know, you can always get started with Google analytics and it's a simple way to, to work on this. Um, and it gives you channel attribution, right? You know where people came from and I think there's nothing wrong with that in principle. Um, but there are some places where it's almost impossible for you to kind of get channel attribution without kind of doing a deal with someone else. So it's the Apple conversation that we had for a while now, right? So you don't know where an install came from unless you go to a, um, an attribution provider like Adjust or AppsFlyer, or in the future, most likely you were going to have to go straight to Apple to get this attribution information. Um, in terms of analytics, of course, it's, it's, uh, as I said, it's, there's a cheap solution that you could try to use, but in most cases, you want to have control over your own data, and I'm pretty sure that at some point we are also start to go to face problems using all these American companies that store this information. So it may not even be about if you want to do it; it may also become
1: a problem of if you're even able to do it. For me, and I think that a lot of our listeners also always asking themselves: so we're paying X amount of money for an attribution tool, but what is the added value actually that we're getting out of it, and why do we always pushing people to rethink how they're doing attribution uh, by taking the road data and then running a lot of calculations on top of it?
0: Mm. I, I think there's like, uh, I'm, a bit con- I'm a bit conflicted for this question because over the last few years, I've become more and more cynical about a lot of things about data and analytics and these things. And if I look at some companies and the way they're using their data, I could actually say that they're probably wasting their time and their money, because essentially none of the important decisions are ever being kind of made with the consultation from a proper analyst. The analysts are just kind of hidden away in some data warehouse uh, function, and they're just kind of calculating KPIs and showing it somewhere and so on and so forth. And then the actual decisions are made by people who are completely data illiterate. Um, In those cases, of course, you can ask the question of why even have the BI team? Why even have the data warehouse? Why not just do the bare minimum that just gives you a certain level of of top level KPIs and you can run your company the way people would have done it 30 years ago. Um, At the same time, of course, I don't know if it's really time to give up on data, you know, in general, because of course you can make better decisions if you know more things. It's just the point that you need to hire managers who are able to do that. And um, so essentially a company that's well organized around like more scientific and more kind of intellectual principles of how to manage your business are going to to thrive if they have more data. Amazon is a company that definitely profits from having more data. Right. Um, so I think that's probably the point. It's more like, am I the kind of company who really does really only wants to kind of report KPIs to shareholders and then just kind of do whatever we feel like, um, or are you really kind of committed to the idea of running an, an optimized business that is kind of doing the best it possibly could. And if you're trying to do this, then definitely you need to have some way to kind of access raw data, calculate your own metrics, um, and get, uh, get also predictive, uh, scores and all these kind of things that we talked about in previous episodes. So, um, I don't know what, what's your experience. Like, do you, do you still have this feeling that data is
1: the most important thing for everyone, or do you also become a little bit cynical lately? Uh, actually. In the past, maybe I would have said that an attribution data is a must thing to have, but then we completely ignoring the user-centric approach, when we need to actually think about a user and what he liked or didn't like on in our app when he used it. Uh, and we, we stopped thinking how we can actually improve our campaigns to reflect what our app is actually doing, this is, this is where we actually, a lot of us, uh, committing the, the crime against the user. We don't think about him. We think about us. And if we're talking about here, like if you're thinking about the IDFA and the consent, right? You will need to convince the user that you're actually giving him an added value for him to consent for you to track him and to have his device ID to be able to retarget him. Otherwise, you did a shitty job. Yeah, definitely agree.
0: Like, I think we've become obsessed with certain things that are not exactly the the service that we're delivering to the users, right? So um, I remember one survey question that I saw on an app where the question was like, on a scale from one to 10, how likely are you to recommend our filter options to your friends? And I was like, "Is, is this like an alien from a different planet that's just trying to figure out how humans work? Because obviously I don't recommend filter options to friends, you know, like it's, it's not, sometimes it's not about collecting the data. You know, sometimes the moment you collect the data in the wrong way, you scare off your customer. And the data is only supposed to help you get customers, right? It's not supposed to drive your customers away. And I think this is also where kind of the, where this, you know, the the kebab question comes up again, you know, is it really worth it? Um, If your, your, your customers, for example, have to worry about their data showing up in places that they didn't expect, right? You know, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, for example, um, other stories we've all heard, and from yeah. that perspective, it kind of makes sense that Apple says, "You know what guys, we are going to protect you over the advertisers if If we have to make a choice, we are going to make a choice for the customers. you know I still believe there's like a lot of cynical uh, business logic in how App- why Apple made that choice, but I think the idea in general makes sense that we shouldn't jeopardize the customer experience just to be able to get a little bit more data
1: out of them. I actually think here that uh, what's going to happen is that the apps will finally need to create content for the user. And I think that what happened in the, in the past years with the apps is that they just became like very copycats of each other or they didn't really put an effort because they put all their emphasis on acquiring users and spending money. And and I don't, I don't believe that this is the right thing to do, actually. I think that this is actually the wrong thing. You need to create content and you need to create content that is relevant for your user. And it's not enough to go and have a, a UI or UX guy going and asking some users about the usability of the app. It's actually to say, this is the funnel I was thinking the user should use, but the reality is completely different. And let me adapt it. And let me also inform them in my advertisement. So when I'm going on Facebook or Google or wherever I'm going to, you want them to tell a story that the user can connect and say, this is something I want to have.
0: Yeah. I, I think a lot of, a lot of uh, products have lost the, you know, the art aspect because, you know, for example, there used to be a, a kind of, you know, an artistic or creative side uh, to, to, to making these products. And this has been kind of replaced by this idea of UX and UI, of doing surveys, of you know doing, you know doing this kind, this kind of you know this kind of fake science around all these things. You know the AB testing you do on your website, where sometimes mm-hmm. you're just testing ridiculous versions, but you're just kind of saying like, well, I don't know, I throw ten fr- tests out there, and some of them is, might be working. I actually think we the, the data people are a bit to blame for this, because. In the past, when you had no way of knowing which particular thing was the reason why your business was doing well or not so well, you had to generally just be more creative and, and smarter about many things. And to be honest, like I, I believe that at some point, the more data we collected, the more we turned a lot of the managers, the the, the creative people, the product people into children who were just waiting for orders and waiting for someone to tell them what they were supposed to do. And I mean, there might actually be an upside to more people not wanting to be tracked. Um, Because for me personally, I I recently had this conversation um, when I talked to someone and I explained to them, you know, that I have a fairly sophisticated setup, you know, with the the VPN and and a lot of uh, ad blockers and the firewall and so on and so forth. Because I'm, I I don't know, privacy is kind of important to me as a private person, as a citizen. Um, And that person said like, yeah, but you know how difficult you make it, you know, because from your from your own work, you know how difficult that makes things. And I'm like, well, I'm a I'm a person first and an analyst second, right? So I mean, uh, I have no interest in Facebook being able to better track me. Like, what what is the point for me personally, right? So why would I be out of char- out of charity? Why would I make it easier for some company to kind of analyze my behavior? I never kind of signed up for being in an experiment, so. I don't know. I I really believe that actually cutting down on third-party data sharing and making data more focused on specific use cases is going to make uh, to force people to be more creative in a lot of situations. And imagine a company, for example, not going with Google Analytics, not going with a lot of these out-of-the-box solutions, but just having some tracking system tailor-made for themselves that can be as small as they want it to be, um, and that it's just going to deliver exactly what they need. And that is not going to lead to this hoarding of data. Um, And it's going to just kind of give them um, ownership of the data that they collected instead of sending it off to some U.S. companies where you're never quite sure if legally you're going to be able to to get back to the data or to ensure that it's being used in a proper way. I think this is probably a more sustainable way to do analytics in the future because you wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and not count any numbers anymore, right? You would just probably want to go to a point where you have a more responsible uh, setup that just allows you to do the basic things that are important for your business, but also to kind of get back to, to valuing the customer. And um, I think that's probably a an upside to the conversations we had about privacy and about,
1: um, about uh, tracking restrictions. Uh, so, yes, I'm also a human being and I'm also using Facebook. So to connect with my friends, to talk to them. And in the past years, I noticed something that was actually driving me very, very mad about Facebook. So uh, there is a big e-commerce company that I used to buy from quite often. And I'm still from time to time buying there and browsing items and stuff like that. And what I realized is that uh, each time that I didn't convert into a sale, suddenly Other companies that I never visited their website advertising the same product that I saw on the the e-commerce website that I visited. And it's making me think, so basically this company sharing a lot of information with Facebook or with Google, and yes, share information with Facebook and Google, they need it and you need it to actually make your campaigns a, a, a little bit cheaper and more profitable. But there is a line that you need to put actually somewhere in the middle and saying, okay, this is information I'm not sharing. I'm not willing to share. Yes, definitely. I mean, there's
0: definitely, I mean, there's, there's uh, the, the point is always where to draw a line, right? I don't think the conversation is always like all data or no data. It's really just kind of a being able to set up more custom setups for yourself. And this is going to get even easier if you don't have this duopoly of Google and Facebook as the big data collectors, right? If there are more companies out there who provide more solutions for your analytics, if you use different tracking systems, so on and so forth. I think this was going to lead to people having more tasteful and custom solutions. And I mean, the example that you showed me about seeing products for a different uh, vendor for the same product. I've actually I remember that that uh, actually that the the product was pitched to me where, where Facebook said, you know what, you don't have to bother set up your audiences and your tracking. We are collecting um, the data from you and your two competitors, and we will make one retargeting audience for the three of you. You know, it, it creates this prisoner dile- prisoner's dilemma of, of if you don't join in, then the other guys are going to exchange data and have better conversions and you will be out. But if you're also in, then you also have to play this shitty game, right, of bidding each other up to get those same conversions you would have gotten anyways. So that's another example, actually, of... of how sharing data with one third party that is kind of in a monopoly
1: position is actually just making your entire business proposition weaker. I think that since 2017, I'm actually urging people not to send data to third parties. And what you send them shouldn't be ROI, shouldn't be revenues, shouldn't be the real conversion. And I think that a lot of people just gave them free access to a lot of data, right? If it's not going to bite you in the ass in the later stage, it's going to cause issues down the hill because the user is going to feel that he got cheated. That's the reality. The reality is that you as an app, you need to create an experience. You need to drive value to your user. And it's not enough just to say that you're connecting people or you that you 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 selling uh, beach hats. Great. Everybody can sell beach hats. Sure. I, I mean, also,
0: like, the, the problem is sometimes similar to how companies are confusing. Is it good for my analytics or is it good for my customer? They're also confusing, like, is this sales message convincing to my employees or is it convincing to my users, right? Because sometimes a company has this, you know, this kind of, super cheesy claim of, you know, revolutionizing the world of toilet brushes, right? Um, That may be a way you can get a few more, uh, you can get a few more programmers to join your company who otherwise would have felt that your company is boring. At the same time for a customer, you know, your, your customer doesn't want the world of toilet brushes reinvented. You know, it's, we should, we should, we should stay honest to ourselves and to our customers in these cases and saying like, this is the thing that we're doing that is actually valuable because, um, the problem is just like you tell so many people how much you're making a difference in the world that at some point you start to believe it yourself. Um, and this is also is the scenario that happened to data. Data has also kind of grown way out of proportion of what it was useful for. And now it's become its own end in and of itself, right? There's just companies mm-hmm. going from conference to conference bragging about their great data setups. Apart from the fact that most of those things that they're presenting are not really the setups they're using. The other side of it is like, I don't know, you know, the the business is not in running data warehouses. Why would they brag so much about the resources they're directing at this?
1: I actually think that here it's always good when, when it's coming to data, give it to somebody to help you to set it up and you focus on the user. You know, one of the mission statements, if I remember correctly, from Amazon is focus on the customer, right? And they're doing it so beautifully. I mean, the one thing also is, like, uh, I don't don't think Amazon has,
0: like, the perfect interface, but the things that they did well is, like, they have the inventory, they have the, the convenience factors, right? They didn't obsess over optimizing the website and not investing in infrastructure, you know, like some companies that we know that just kind of assume that if your website is UX optimized, that somehow makes your conversion rate go up which implies that somehow 10 times more people are going to buy your products. At the same time, you were unwilling to invest in any infrastructure, you know? It's just performance marketing and A-B testing on the UX side and just assuming that people are just going to shell out more money on a nice-looking website. So I think that's also a thing that Amazon did really well is just kind of figuring out which parts of their business they had to build.
1: Exactly. So my takeaway is that A, Work on your story and work on your content. I think that this is the most important thing that uh, as a company you need to create right now for your user. So the user is going to like what you offer him. And then the second takeaway is that you shouldn't share all your data with a third party. You actually should filter what you're sharing with them. It doesn't matter how much you factor it or how much you're trying to mask it. It's still going to know who is the milking cow and it will have the highest Attention actually to bring him to other apps because his interest is actually to make more conversion and become more relevant for other apps as well. And you also shouldn't make trade offs that are really really detrimental
0: to the user experience and also to the trust that your customers have in you. Um, and as I said before, you know from from looking at cases where I've seen like a lot of sensitive data being shared in a way that I wouldn't have expected it to be shared as an as a customer I wouldn't have expected it. Um, and a lot of years have actually passed, but I think the point has come now where finally, you know, uh, the general public and the politicians are going to start looking at this more clo- or have started looking at this more closely. And now we have to kind of uh, get back to basics. I think that's that's the thing that I, that, that's my takeaway in the end. So, yeah, I think um, it was good talking to you about this again. So let's talk next week.
1: Yeah, don't go to a kebab shop that's going to... Stumble your stomach, huh? The problem is, how are you going
0: to know beforehand if it's a good one or a bad one? I know you have a lot of rules for this.
1: I I always said, like, the best hummus I had was always in a shitty shop. But the outside and the inside were giving you a certain vibe that, you know, you can trust the owner. And I think that this is something that is very important. I like that. So that's a good good
0: summary for this. (laughs) All right, cool. So, uh, thanks. Thanks. Let's uh, talk next week. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the What the Data podcast.